From RTE Radio, I'm Neil O'Sheridan. This is Playback Daily. His wife came up to me afterwards and that was one thing she thanked me for. <laughs> she was like, thank you so much. She's coming back to me so much slimmer, so much fitter. My view of cats is they're a necessary evil. I wouldn't have one in the house. There is always a possibility that there's a doctor down in, in say, Connemara who's uh, dealing in Irish with a patient in Irish who is going to get a prescription written in Irish who's going to go to a pharmacist in Irish. Coming up on this edition of Playback Daily. So many nominations, so few wins. The Oscars and the Irish. How your cat could end up killing you. And what happens when M. Night Shyamalan wants to adapt your novel for the big screen. That's all on the way over the next hour of the radio catch-up show that has been living as a dead person in a medieval village full of super-powered aliens this whole time. The musings on the news, or newsings, if you will, on this morning's Ryan Tuberty show, presented today by Oliver Callan, started with, what else? The Oscars, of course, it brings an end to that um, endless film award season and it all went exactly really as the bookies and the critics had expected. No, no surprises in any category. So we had the hell of a semi-final, more nominations than ever before, 14 in total, but the final was a bit of a challenge and you have to remember it's an election campaign, you know, it's not a... It's a strange one, the Oscars. And we were pushed out by everything, everywhere, all at once. Great name for a movie. I was a bit three-starry. I was a bit three-star out of five for the film itself. But uh, it had slightly better things going for it than The Banshees. It was a more popular movie. It was a, had a more diverse cast. You had the amazing story of the child from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom comes back. He wins the Oscar 40 years later. Gives Harrison Ford a hug at the end of the night. Harrison Ford has never even won an Oscar. And then you had the Jamie Lee Curtis story. Never winning an Oscar in her 60s. She gets it. Uh, but I'm just thinking, you know, it, it went a bit... If The Banshees were shot in Kerry rather than Ackle Island and Mayo. You know, maybe, maybe. Also, is it the Banshees of Inishirin or the Banshees of Inishirin? I think it's probably the latter, given the anglicised spelling of Banshees. It's a thing that it, it gets, in, gets in, my, in my head every now and again. And also, an Irish goodbye um, sounds... It's, is it a phrase we actually use? There's a bit of a debate in the, in the office this morning. Some people go, yeah, yeah, we use that. And other people go, no, no, that's, a, that's an American thing. We, we, it's just... It's it it's an Irish goodbye is obviously the fact that we don't say goodbye at the end of a night we just slip away into the night. An Irish goodbye, by the way, it's a ten minute long film. It was on RT One on Saturday night and is on the RTE player, so you can watch and enjoy that Oscar winning winning film, which has provided the story of the night for us over here. And not forgetting Richie Bainham as well, extra dot ie telling us that he spoke the Kupla Fuckle. Guramila Mahagat, you might have heard earlier on, and it's his second Oscar. He won for Avatar in 2009, and he picks up another Oscar as part of the team for visual effects. Again, that was an unsurprising one, but I was delighted to hear that clip. He still has the Tala accent. He's been in LA for 20 plus years and so on. And uh, we're looking at who is wearing what and so on. Barry Keoghan has, at all the awards bashes, been stepping out in monochrome. So he's eschewed the uh, black tux, and he's been wearing a red suit at the BAFTAs. He was um, all in white at something else, the Golden Globes, isn't it? So he was wearing lavender, I suppose you would call it, with a white tie. And he's uh, he showed up there with his girlfriend, Alison Kearns. Uh, they have a child, Brando, together. Alison Kearns is a, a dentist from Scotland, but her father is from Cavan. See, these are the things... These are the things we need to know. Uh, with Kevin McGarren, that's going to a bit of a, a Cavan theme going on there. And... Um, who else? Oh, Paul Meskel. Yeah, he was there with his mum, Dervla Meskel. And uh, he was wearing a white tusk, uh, t- um, a tuxedo, but very baggy, sort of 
because he's young and cool, it's sort of a bell-bottom thing going on there. And yes, the mammy was at, was his date for the Oscars. And we have a clip of Dervla. Uh, she was speaking to Variety magazine on the way into the Oscars. And it's real. It's actually not fantasy. It's actually real. When he told you he wanted to be an actor, what, did, what was your first reaction? That's Oscars. I trusted him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I trusted him. He just knew what he wanted to do and just let's go with it. You know he'd be here at the Oscar. I, I did my imaginating, and yeah. that's what happened. And, and I just she did her imagination, so she did the manifestation thing, and uh, that's just delightful. There, uh, very, very articulate and proud, Mammy. Very Oscars ready, Mammy, isn't there? Would you think every Mammy in Ireland is very, is kind of Oscars ready? <laughs> I'm being, I'm being told yes, yes, they are. Every Mammy in Ireland is very Oscars ready to show up. Uh, but anyway, good crack. And and the main thing, Paul Maskell obviously didn't win the Oscar there. If he had, this is the challenge he was up against, he would have been the youngest ever Best Actor winner. So it was not going to happen. But what it does is it parachutes him from an unknown three years ago, around before normal people. And he's a, he's a Hollywood A-lister now, no doubt about it. Of course, there being so much Irish involvement in this year's Oscars, the Americans were always bound to get, intentionally or otherwise, offensive, weren't they? The attention was on the Irish over the weekend in the American media and Saturday Night Live, which hasn't been funny to Irish audiences. You know, when people are laughing at something, you, ca- you can't say it's not funny because people find it funny. But Saturday Night Live, they've been criticised. The Irish Examiner tells us for their offensive Irish Oscars sketch. Uh, there's a setup where they, they, the fake presenters are kind of introducing Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson and two actors come in dressed very well. They look like Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. And uh, this is their interpretation of what the Irish are very much like at the Oscars. Um, here, here's what it all sounds like. Do I have that clip actually now that I'm looking? Yes. No. Oh, yes. Saturday Night Live. This is it. So this is what they think Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell sounds like to American ears. How do you guys like your chances tonight? Uh, you know, that's the words and, you know, like, uh, taint words are troops for where in you be. Hey, me green, 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 pure tarry, swiddle, toony trees in it. Yeah. <laughs> wow, and they haven't even started drinking yet. Wow, and Colin Farrell hasn't had a drink for 20 years and you've done no research, Saturday Night Live. And- the texts were not slow to come in. Did you see that SNL Irish skit on Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson? It just wasn't funny. Never mind lazy, says Col. I actually watched it twice over the weekend going, what was the gag? Are they, is it, it, were we supposed to decipher what they're saying? No, just the gag was that apparently even when we're speaking English, they can't understand an Irish accent. Even when it's two of the most articulate Irish people we've ever produced in Colin Farrell. And Brendan Lee's just bizarre and um, one of the senior people online reacting to this was Derry Girls creator Lisa McGee who sarcastically had a face palming emoji and said, yeah, this is fine, is what she said. Very sad. So Jimmy Kimmel then is up to him. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a fan of Oscar monologues, I must say. Steve Martin, very good. Billy Crystal. Uh, Chris Rock, probably the best of all time. So Jimmy Kimmel, he's obviously, he started out well. He's kind of saying, you know, there's been a very diverse um, nominations this year because all corners of Dublin have been nominated. Kind of semi-true because you've got Tipperary and Kildare, but he's not to know this. And then he cracks this gag. Five Irish actors are nominated tonight, which means the odds of another fight on stage just went way up. So it's a kind of a drug fight Irish gag. Now, I should say, in the context of this, he's obviously talking about the Will Smith thing. So that's the main source of the gag. And it cuts immediately to Colin and Brendan and they mock fight. So, you know, they took the gag very well. Also, a very poor monologue. And that probably got the biggest laugh 
of, of the night, to be quite honest. Okay. So anyway, there are the Oscars. We leave that there for the moment and uh, make of it what you will. It'll be on, on the telly and across the day. But we have two Irish Oscars in the bag. And the main thing is that out of the nominations, the important thing is in the long run, Irish film will get funded into the future, particularly Irish language films. You're going to see a lot more uh, films as uh, Black 47, that was the first film I saw with a fair amount of Irish. I remember the famine action thriller. Very good movie. So well done uh, to all and, and continued success to the whole lot of us anyway. And Aracht, I haven't seen that one. That's kind of an actiony one. I haven't seen Aracht, um, but it came out there a year or two ago. And um, it, we're going to see lots more. That's kind of the point. So don't be dwelling on the fact that we didn't convert the huge number of nominations into, into the wins. Now- of course, it's not about the winning, is it? It's about the taking part. At least, that's what the losers say, am I right? <clears throat> anyway, meanwhile our friends across the Irish Sea continue to lose the run of themselves in the most ridiculous and public ways possible. But the big story across the water in England still is Gary Lineker's tweets. Yes, indeed. Uh, the Daily Telegraph tells us today that Lineker is set to return as BBC bosses back down. So this is the, the Gary Lineker story. is going to go down in the annals of how to take a, kind of a spitting gargoyle of a semi-scandal and turn it into a spewing, fire-breathing kraken of a story. And you know, the key to it is the, it's a story that came out of the, the niche of political squabble into the far more blockbuster arena of football, thanks to Gary Lineker. Not much coverage over the weekend, I notice, of the actual immigration law unveiled by the British Home Secretary or their Minister for Justice, which started the whole thing. I think it's worth actually, it's worth pointing out what these laws are saying, because they're going to pass and become law over there. Uh, so the new laws, which are said by so many to breach uh, Britain's human rights responsibilities, uh, basically they're going to arrest anyone arriving in the small boats or the back of a lorry. Uh, it'll prevent them from claiming asylum, even if they're escaping from a war zone. So they'll be detained in camps like Australia did 20 years ago. And then they'll be deported to Rwanda. So it's been condemned by the United Nations Human Rights Commission, human rights groups and welcomed by the far right in Europe. But anyway, in the heel of the hunt, the BBC managed to make themselves the story and it is now whimpering to a close. Uh, the BBC apparently going to climb down on the row. Gary Lineker will host and what's left we see now is will he make some form of apology? He's expected to say he's going to be careful how he tweets. That's what the Telegraph is telling us this morning. But a, a quote from Armandi, Armando Yanucci. He's the creator of the amazing series The Thick of It and Veep and the David Copperfield film. Um, he was in The Observer and he said in relation to the BBC Director General who had kind of turned it all into a massive story he said if I was Tim Davey I'd come out of the BBC headquarters and I'd say look everything I've done in the last four days forget it I was under pressure but let's pretend it didn't happen and I'm going to have a bath for the rest of the weekend so that was, that was the end that was the end of that story so it's coming to an end it's coming to an end that at last says you at last says I now what about a brief nice story to finish up. Uh, this is a lovely story I spotted in the Irish Independent this morning. Ukrainian-Irish dancing enthusiast. She's a 16-year-old and she's been uh, living with a host family in Dublin for the last nine months. And she started teaching uh, traditional Irish dance to people in Rathmines, the Ukrainian community centre there every Wednesday and Saturday. Uh, but she didn't pick it up here. She joined an Irish dancing school in her native Odessa when she was 10 years old and she fell in love. And she's really adapted at Archendo Trees. And uh, I think it's just a very, one of those nice, uplifting stories. Indeed, and it is. wonder what the Ukrainian for Haindo Tree is. I'll leave you to ponder that as I put the newsings from this morning's Ryan Toberty show to bed. Until the next time.
The Oscars happened on Sunday, in case you missed it. And in an Irish sense, they overpromised and underdelivered. Claire Byrne wrangled Aoife Barry, assistant news editor at the journal.ie, all the way from Hollywood. And in studio, Gráinne Humphreys, director of the Dublin International Film Festival, to mull over the highs and lows of the 95th Academy Awards. How delighted were the stars of An Irish Goodbye? Yeah, they were so happy. And it was so nice seeing them come into the room because, you know, we'd been there, you know, you start getting ready at like like 12 o'clock or whatever and you're in the winner's room from, I was there from about half past one to 2 p.m. Um, you know, before the red carpet starts, you're waiting hours and then, you know, as the time is ticking down, we were realising, oh, no, no Irish wins yet. And then um, an Irish goodbye wins and it was just really good to see them in there because the last time I'd seen them was at the Oscar Wilde event and so that was before it all happened and they were all getting excited and then it became a reality. They had their Oscars in, in their hands and they were well able for the press that were in there. They were absolutely fantastic. Great. No, they seem to handle it handle it really really well you know just the right amount yeah. of, of modesty and delight and uh, and a lovely thank you speech as well up on the stage apart from that who's yeah, stood happy birthday. and the happy birthday of course yes yeah. the, the lovely happy birthday moment for James uh, Martin on his big night in LA his birthday and an Oscar win but Eva, who stood out at the ceremony for their acceptance speech across the board it was really, you know, a day, I think, for women, particularly Michelle Yeoh. I mean, she was the first Asian woman to win the Best Actress Gong. And, um, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis from the same film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which got seven Oscars. I mean, that was like it was a big night for Everything Everywhere All at Once. The two of them, I think, were really interesting because you have two women who are in, who are in their 60s winning um, Oscars. You also have Michelle Yeoh, like I said there, being the first Asian woman. And Michelle in particular was speaking, and she spoke about this too in the winner's room, about the idea of being seen and being heard as an Asian woman and I think that that message was just so strong you know she's saying don't let people tell you that you're not in your prime which of course was, was harking back to other um, news events that, that had happened recently but I think their their comments about kind of you know being there being seen being heard was just really powerful I think and as well Kihi Kwan who is also from everything ever all, all at once who won Best Supporting Actor he was somebody who had you know retreated from Hollywood who came over from Vietnam as a child spent some time in a refugee camp um, and he was someone I think who really did not think that he was going to get back to to his acting career and did and he was so excited I mean he was excited on stage and then when he came into the winner's room he literally jumped up and down mm-hmm. on stage several times. He had that lovely moment as well with Harrison Ford on stage, didn't he? Yeah, he did. They were, you know, reunited and there's a lot of um, memes going around, you know, comparing a photograph of them, you know, how many years ago, about 30, 40 years ago to now to them, to embrace to them embracing. And he's someone who, you know, his energy was really, really palpable, you know, and the, you know, I think it was just a lovely moment to see that it was real Hollywood, I think, to see his story. He kept saying that, it, you know, it's like a movie, the fact that I'm here on stage winning an Oscar. He couldn't believe it. So I think that was that was particularly something that captured people. And Brendan Fraser as well, even if if you weren't a fan of the movie I think people were really a fan of him he got basically a standing ovation when he came into the the winner's room um, you could really tell who people really really liked he got such a great reception and he was very emotional mm-hmm. uh, on stage too Jamie Lee Curtis I just want to go back to her for a minute because mm. her parents uh, Tony Curtis and Janet Lee they were both nominated weren't they uh, in, on previous occasions yeah, they didn't Oscars. they didn't win and didn't she look up to heaven and say we won an Oscar yeah She's in a very unusual position in that both her parents had previously been nominated. 
Exactly. Like she's talked before about how she is a Nepo baby. You know, she is Hollywood royalty. I mean, she's someone who has had such a long career. Like I said, her parents, two iconic actors as well as as well. And the fact that she has won, you know, in a way, I suppose the award could be seen, um, you know, as a lifetime achievement award in a way, or as a career award, shall, shall we say. Um, and it was was something that maybe people weren't expecting, I think, for this particular film for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's she's very gracious person and she's very also really chatty and talkative. She loves being in the limelight. She was well able to get up get up there, chat away, you know, um, on stage and then also chat away in the winner's circle. She was even in the winner's room. She was even chatting, you know, we had some virtual people who were talking kind of just, you could just hear their disembodied voices, um, some journalists. And she was just even chatting away to them being like, oh, I wish you were in, in the room and, you know, you don't get the catering and, and all the exciting stuff they get here. So she's really funny as well. She kind of brings things back down to earth as much as she is Hollywood royalty too. Well, Eva, I have Gráinne Humphreys here with me as well from the Dublin International Film Festival. Good morning, Gráinne. Good morning. How are so you? how are you after all that? Because look, let's just be honest. We had 14 in. We expected to do better than the two that we were delighted we got them, but we did expect to do a little bit better, didn't we? We did. And and I suppose in a way, what was also really interesting about the night is that you start off with these huge expectations and then you feel like everyone award that we didn't get is being grabbed away from you. Do you know what I mean? And then suddenly the momentum started heading towards all quiet and heading towards everything everywhere and suddenly you start going, oh no, what's going to happen? <laughs> and it, it is interesting because the momentum becomes part of it. It's a long ceremony. I think it was three hours and 30 minutes this year. So generally around the halfway point it started being, oh no, oh, oh no, no, what's going to happen? Is there anything? Are the goodie bags? You know, what, what kind of emotion are we left with? I did feel early on we were getting indications. Certain awards were just going in particular directions and I think you know when Kerry Condon was robbed we suddenly all started going oh no maybe the predictions are going the wrong way I think the other thing is is it felt like a very conservative very safe um, ceremony and in that sense I wondered whether or not there were certain ones we hoped would be surprises or shocks including on Colleen Kuhn and when that didn't happen it felt a tiny bit like we were watching a very safe very well orchestrated design ceremony where a lot of things were going to go the way people expected Mm -hmm. and I actually wanted slaps and wanted controversy and wanted all of those things that in a way have marred previous ones so in the end as I said we didn't win and I didn't have any huge stories to come home with and yeah. as Aoife said the happy happy birthday moment was one of the few moments of genuine kind of improvised emotion and that's what I that's what I think is brilliant moment. about it The morning after the night before that's Dublin International Film Festival director Gráinne Humphreys talking about the Oscars with Aoife Barry assistant news editor at the journal.ie on this morning's Today with Claire Byrne On this afternoon's Live Line, the conversation was all about cats, with the news from the HSE that some cats in Ireland have a disease which can lead to diphtheria in humans. And between 5 and 10% of humans who contract diphtheria die. Joe Duffy spoke first to Mary. What would you do if um, the government decided we need to reduce the cat population drastically? Well, I think unless an animal is suffering unnecessary. It should put an animal, a cat should be put down. A cat, a cat should not be put uh, down. Unless a cat is suffering. Unless it's suffering, unless it's put down for its own good. But what about a cull because they spread disease? Well, I didn't know about the I know about the cat AIDS, but I didn't know about the other disease you have. I didn't know about that. What's the cat AIDS? Sorry, I didn't. I'm not aware. Oh, cat! Uh, I I rescued 
Oh no, sorry, two feral cats moved in with me on two different occasions. Two wild cats. Okay, yeah. And I had one for six years, and I, the other one only lasted a year. And the vet told I brought him up to the vet, okay. and the vet told me he had cat aids, so I put I had to put him down. And what what did the cat have? Cat aids. Cat aids. Yeah, there is such. Yeah, there's aids. Yeah. Okay. And are you a cat lover, Mary? Well, I'm not. I'm not, I wouldn't be cruel to any animal. I wouldn't okay. turn any animal away. But I'm more. I'm into dogs more than cats. But I don't mind cats. I don't mind them. And did you know, this was the other point that was raised on Friday, Irish cats kill four million birds a year. Birds. Oh, I know I know cats hunt birds. I know they do. I didn't know that. Yeah, they kill four million birds yeah, yeah. a year. And in the UK, it's, it's in the tens of millions. The first cat that came in to me, I think he was living on what I hope for that. He was living on four-hoofed creatures. Namely, young rats, because I had a terrible time with him because he was bringing in young rats and I had to kill them all off out of there. Anyway, I didn't put him out over that. I think he was living on, on wildlife before he moved in with me. Okay. James Mee is in Maynooth. James, good afternoon. Joe at RT.ie, to text. James, you say your cat doesn't kill any birds. No, Joe. Uh, we're, by the way, I'm a cat lover. Okay. And, uh, uh, and an animal lover, but a cat lover mainly. And we have a lovely cat here called Char- Charlie Alexander May. He's household and he goes out and he goes out to his uh, garden and all that and, and tips about. We have also blackboards that come to the house for blackberries and all. We have blackboards that come for getting fed. We have a high up yoke for feeding them. Well, I see, yeah, but the hang, cat, yeah, hang on. I see a call there for a caller saying. Um, she, her cat was killing two or three birds a day in her back garden and she got uh, a cat bib. Have you ever heard of that? A cat I bib. Didn't need, Joe. Yes, didn't you didn't need, okay. Have you ever seen one? I haven't. No, Joe. I never, I've never seen it, but I heard of them, Joe. And what do but they the do? Is, what do they do? Well, it's supposed to contain the cat from, from uh, eating wildlife. Yeah, it stops the cat. It apparently, the you cat put it around the, cat, the cat's neck yeah. It's like a bib, but it will stop the cat. It will stop the pounce in the cat. You know when he pounces or uh, pounces on a board, it stops the pounce and a doesn't pounce the doesn't interfere with Tibbles. It does, Joe. But but the thing about it, I'm going to let you know a bit. Just a quick bit of history. Okay. From ni- in the 1970s up until today's day, Joe, we had we had 14, 15 cats around the house. All right. We and and they're all house how, how, around the house all the time. Okay, right. but now it's it, it's the way you you uh, have the animals and train the animals to way they, of eating and all that. And if you have the proper food and all that, feed the cats and train them. You will never have a bother with going after wildlife or going after uh, birds. Or the, the thing that do contain Joe is rats and mice. You never see rats and mice around the place, but you see mm. all the blackbirds and all coming. And they do come for feed. And my ma and me does, Bridget Annie me, she feeds the birds and all there, and blackberries and all there for the wee blackbirds. And there's never a problem with animals coming in. And you know, in Australia at the minute, there's a, a debate raging there about cats because domestic cats in Australia are estimated to have killed, in a, in a year, 230 million native Australian birds, reptiles and mammals each year. 
according to new research that quantifies the pet's national toll on native animals for the first time. And researchers in Australia are saying peak cats should be kept indoors. Well, Joe, it, it, you sounds... see, the thing about the thing, Joe, about cats is you must, you must, when you get a cat, a wire, you could get a wild cat coming into the house. You train the cat and train him housebone and all that and train him to the way you want him trained that he doesn't, he doesn't go and run after every border. But if they do contain rats and mice, Joe, and they do do that. But, but cats are a very lovable animal, a very well-trained animal when they're, when they're trained in the right, in the right household. We have five next door as well, Joe, in a house next door. And, and they're all very well house-trained, and they never go after blackboards or whatever, but they do contain mice or rats. But, it's the way, but you must train them and feed them and give them a, and feed them properly with their own cat food and that, Joe. OK, OK, so you're in favour of cats. Um, where Kieran, Kieran Matthews and Sligo, Kieran. Yes. Um, what do you think of this argument that cats, well, it's growing, that cats killed so many birds? Yeah, well, cats, um, my view of cats is they're a necessary evil. I wouldn't have one in the house. That's Kieran giving his pretty succinct view of cats to Joe Duffy on this afternoon's Live Line. Kevin McGarren and his dance partner Laura Nolan exited Dancing with the Stars on Sunday and, as tradition will have it, they turned up on this morning's Ryan Tuberty show. Oliver told Kevin he was looking trim and fit and Kevin revealed that he's not a fan of the Irish habit of not taking a compliment. I don't get this thing of, you know when people lose weight and you say, God, you look great, you lost weight, and they're like, do you mind actually not saying that? <laughs> and I'm like, if I lose weight, I want everyone to tell me you lost weight, you look great. His wife came up to me afterwards and that was one thing she thanked me for. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, thank you so much. He's coming back to me so much slimmer, so much fitter. My posture. His posture is improved. I'm not hunched down over, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think it's because it's a comedian thing, isn't it? Because we're not meant to be in shape. Is that the idea? Well, yeah, because my wife for years is saying like, you know, you want to get fit or go join the gym or something. And I was like, I, I, I'm, I'm worried if I wouldn't be funny if I got very fit looking. John Belushi, <laughs> John Candy. There's a lot of very funny, fat comedians. Um, nobody wants to see a good looking, well-built comedian. Something funny well, about look, that. Well, look, it's about to happen because we're now... Like this partnership is continuing. I'm bringing him to the gym next. Is that <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm signing up for Laura's. Laura runs dance classes. You do jive and oh, line yeah. dancing. So I'm going to sign up for that. Is this kind of like, oh, let's make exercise fun? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know. I know I have loads of line dancers. They've been with me now for three years and um, they love they it. I must be there 25 years um, <laughs> before you were born. But, <laughs> <laughs> I know I have loads of them. Um, I only started the classes three years ago. So I'm actually starting a new one out in Luca now. Um, wow. Where I'm from and Baltimore Latin classes as well. So I'll be starting that in a few weeks time. I was supposed to start it next Monday and I was like, I need a little bit of a break after dancing yeah. with the stars. But like it is, it is a fun way to exercise. Like no jokes. Um, I hate exercise. But dance is, it's good <laughs> That's crack. surprising. Yeah. <laughs> you, you really enjoyed it, didn't you? I did. I loved it. Yeah, I really are, loved are it. Are you the comedian who's lasted the longest in Dancing with the Stars? Uh, Deirdre got to the oh, final. Deirdre got to the final. Deirdre yeah. got to the final. Yeah. Um, but I'm the longest running male comedian, I think. Okay, well, yeah. take so that. I'll, I'll take that. 
the competition wasn't terribly. Let's be honest. When I saw you, you, you started, and I went, "Oh no, comedian! Like we, we're not supposed to be in the dancing. He'll be gone in no time." <laughs> you know, as well, like he was asked very last minute to do it, um, and. Like fair play to him because he had a six year old and a year and a half year old, six six week old, six week old at the start. Yeah, okay. So he, he had a very new baby and a little toddler, and he was like, yeah, he was at Christmas shopping at the time, and he goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. And like I think around like half an hour later, he was down on camera on the green screen getting with dressed. me, getting dressed in sparkles, been so. squeezed into spanks. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so brave of you, Kevin, to um, opt for a job that's going to get you out of the house. <laughs> What's that I have to leave for eight hours a day? <laughs> I'm just going to leave that with you without even asking a question because that would just be rude. <laughs> so have you have you seen your children? Um, Jesse is he's off in college now. Um, he's studying to be a doctor. Um, <laughs> no, I, it's actually the one thing. Like when we when my name was called to leave yesterday, uh, I I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel a huge amount of relief. Like I've spent so much time away from the kids and I'm just really looking forward to getting back there. Ah. Yeah. Ah. I'm a big softy, Oliver. Yeah, and you mean it. I That's do well. mean it. Yeah. I can be sincere. We sort of wait for uh, a hanging punchline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> just wait right. for the meanness. Too early for punchlines. No, it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> You're allowed to say you love your children. What's <laughs> <laughs> wrong with him? Have you missed us? You've probably missed everything because I always get the feeling watching Dancing with the Stars that you roll, it feels like you're all in some kind of club that we're trying yeah, to derive really the in jokes from. It's seven days a it week. It is like. seven days a week and. You feel like you've no, you've no idea what's happening outside of Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Like somebody said to me the other day, yeah, you know, it's March. Like, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, like it just flies. And you're literally going from Sunday to Sunday because you, you, you do your dance and then Monday you're into their studio and it's like, right, just scrap what you learned yesterday or into a new dance and you're constantly working for the next Sunday. Mm. So it just flies by the time. Yeah. You've literally no idea what's happening in the outside world. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds lovely. We could, yeah, we could be at war with Sweden and <laughs> we would not know. Yeah, I can I can fill you in. <laughs> it's a very glitzy bubble though, so it is it it's is good. Strange, it's yeah. an adrenaline is, rush. The world is extra strange. Gary Lineker is the most dangerous man in Britain. Oh yes, he must <laughs> be stopped. <laughs> and the housing crisis is now so bad that a group of adult children who've been living at home so long, their parents are trying to move them into the four courts. Uh, for, <laughs> for, so you can you know you can look up the news later on and fill yourselves in. So what's uh, you're gonna you're gonna dance on? I'm gonna dance on. I think yeah, and you're kicking straight in like Laura's starting a new musical about Marilyn Monroe well a musical dance, dance uh, oh. excuse me Oliver it's dance theatre <laughs> um, what did you the call blonde it? dance theatre oh, but you were calling it something you were I was calling it a musical but it's not oh, a musical yeah, we, don't, we only dance uh, it. it's called the, bl- dance the, the yeah. blonde bombshell Oh, um, actually, yeah. can Are you, you do Mon- I am Marilyn Monroe. She's a starring yeah. role. I can see that. Oh, thank you very yeah. much. How's your How's your JFK impression? JFK. Well, Ryan, kind of in the seat, he's oh, JFK. Trump. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't even attempt. Kevin's going to star in it now. Yeah. He's got that impression. <laughs> Isn't that right, Kevin? He's, You're going to be starring in it. Yeah, I'm going to be Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. No. <laughs> His jive is on point, so I think it would be in a perfect role for him to take over. Are we laughing? Or are you actually? Do- no, I'm no, not. Okay. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not just pro level yet. I'm so, I'm so confused at your levels of sincerity. <laughs> They're all over the shop. Um, hello, there's a text uh, from Laura's line dancers here. We love Laura. We're so proud of her. She's Aww. an amazing teacher. Kevin is also welcome to the class. Uh, we will booty scoot the legs off him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I love them so much. They really are such great support. And they were so happy that we were doing a dance to Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah. Because it's one of the songs that I use with them. So it was like a little ode to my line dancers our dance last of night yeah. yeah it was an ode to um, 90s disco as well isn't it yes yeah. it's it's a, it still holds up it's a hell of a banger it's so good isn't it yeah. you know and it was such a complicated dance I was you know as, as I said earlier my uninformed opinion was yeah it, like it was, one of the steps wasn't going to go right at the end but you had so many steps yeah there was a <laughs> whereas lot whereas I thought you know your competitor in the dance off Suzanne. Kind of, you know, didn't have to do too many fancy, fancy footwork. Uh, well, it, see, every dance is completely yeah. different. And like some dances are really elegant and that's very difficult. And then some dances are high energy. So every dance is a new technique. Yeah. No, I thought know? Suzanne danced beautifully. Like, um, and as I said, like I was very happy to go out on a high like I would have been, I would have felt awful if we went out last week when I felt I didn't dance my best. Oh, yeah. I wanted to do Laura proud. Laura is such an amazing teacher. And friend, there was weeks where I was like having an emotional breakdown and Laura like pretty much was Sigmund Freud and put me on the couch and gave me some good counselling. And I could not, I could not have asked for a better teacher. Laura, thank you so much. I, to be honest, there was weeks where uh, like I I was having a little mental breakdown with him as well. I was like, can you please just take You were having a breakdown with him. With him. As in, can you please just take the step with your right? Not your left count, your right leg. But we got there and I was so lucky to have such an amazing person by my side doing it. Ah. Because when I say he put in the hours, he worked so hard and we had a good laugh and then he didn't he didn't also sleep for most of it as well so like yeah. you know the he ba- did well babies are not understanding about <laughs> dance competition work hours at all <laughs> the underslept Kevin McGarn and his dance partner Laura Nolan talking about their departure from Dancing with the Stars with Oliver Callan on this morning's Ryan Tuberty show Many more English words than we realise have Irish roots. That's according to Cathy Scuffle, historian in residence with Dublin City Council, who spoke to Claire Byrne this morning. How surprised though are people when they realise that they're using Irish words unconsciously in everyday speech when they're speaking in English? Do you know, Claire? I honestly think they're delighted uh, because people figure it out for themselves and you bring them through it carefully. I think it's a brilliant way of people developing, say, more confidence in using Irish because then they realise, well, they actually know a little bit more than they thought they did. Yes. And uh, so this this has been really rewarding. It came home to me uh, during the lockdown. I was doing a talk with a group of American students and they were really excited to know that they were unknowingly using Irish words whenever they spoke uh, they would have them in their everyday language. And they were actually quite delighted. And it, it was wonderful watching them realise that. So then I realised we're all the same, you know, <laughs> that if we, you can find that little bit of Irish, sure, isn't it? Nice, nice to hang on to it. So I'm, I'm sure you told them all about brogue. <laughs> and tell us all about brogue. Now, isn't it a great word? Because obviously it comes from brogue, brogue, your shoe. Uh, but... It's also, and we've had a lot of talk about brogues and, and language today with the Oscars. Um, so the Irish brogue or the, you know, the Scottish brogue. So wh- how did the word for shoe get connected with an accent yes. or the way you spoke? So, of course, it has that dual meaning. I mean, it is the word for a shoe. It was obviously one that was used in the English-speaking word 
uh, English-speaking world about the type of shoes that Irish speakers or Gaelic speakers were wearing. So if you're wearing a rough, stout shoe, then they linked that to the accent. And (laughs) so that's how the word brogue for an accent um, is connected to the types of shoes they used to wear. All right, so <laughs> now now we're learning that brogue didn't just translate to shoe, a generic shoe. It translated to a particular type of shoe and that led us on to, to how people speak. Uh, one that people, I think, might be really surprised about, though, is the word phony and where that comes from. Now, you wouldn't automatically associate a word beginning with PH as a, an Irish word, but think about the sound of it. So it actually comes from the word fáinne, but a fáinne, a particular type of fáinne. Fáinne is the Irish word for ring. So a fáinne was like a false ring, a, a brass ring used by rogues, say, at a fair or at a festival. And it was like a cheater's ring. Yes. You know, so you thought you were winning a gold one, but you're actually winning a, a brass ring. So a false ring, a fáinne, a fáinne, and it became phony. Okay. Phony is the word for because I, I just associate the word phony with America. Very much so. And I wonder, did it go in a roundabout way? It possibly uh, I, did. I, you know, and I'd love that discussion to take place because if we start understanding our words a bit more, I think then we understand our language a lot better. So mm-hmm. it's just, a, it possibly did go with the diaspora. And uh, we same, sent a few rogues over who were doing <laughs> false rings. Selling the, the phony rings, the phony fonias. And then the obvious ones, um, Banshee. We've all been talking mm-hmm. about the Banshees. And Colleen. Now, of course, Banshee is two Irish words. Ban for woman, she a fairy, fairy woman. But she becomes a little bit more, how would you put it? She, she's a little bit more sinister. The banshee is is the forebringer of, of maybe bad news or a death, you mm-hmm. know. So she has her own image. She's out there <laughs> looking after her own image. And of course, Oscars, you know, banshee. The, the American community today were using the word banshee and didn't even realise what it meant. But Colleen, well, Colleen, a girl's name, but also means the word girl, Colleen, comes from the Irish word Colleen. And that's a very popular name for, you know, girls in America. And I think it's popular in other countries as well. I mean, certainly here we, we have the odd Colleen that pops up. Yes, we do. Uh, but yeah, but mo- mostly, I would say, in America. I think it's mostly America. We're yeah. going to talk about my favourite now. This is my favourite in terms of the explanation. And I am sure <laughs> there are lots of people who use the word boring in English and have no clue where it came from. But you're going to explain all to us now, Cathy. I am. I am. So again, boring. Bow is the first bit. So that's a cow. So a boring meant a little road. Anything with een on the end means small or little. So a boring was a road that only a cow could go down. Just the one cow. <laughs> one cow. So we want to make it a bit bigger. So we widened the boring into a bohar, into a road. Bohar means bow again, cow, har, 
could pass. So two cows could go by. So, um, Isn't it great? I just, I, I love it. It's, it's great. It's great. And it's perfect, actually, because that's exactly what a boreen is, isn't it? Space enough for one cow. And, and what more would you want? Um, <laughs> slogan now, Cathy. This is a, another surprise one, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, now, what is the slogan? I mean, you know, in, in um, public relations, we develop slogans. Every company would have a slogan. But it actually comes from a Irish or a Gaelic battle cry. Slugurm. So literally your cry when you're going into battle. Isn't that a brilliant way of thinking? Slugurm. Uh, PR. Slugurm. And uh, so it, it's basically you're, you're going, going for victory, you know. So we're, you're battle cry, leading the forces. I think that's brilliant. It Anyone is, and it's an, it's an exact definition of the word <laughs> slogan pretty much slogan. as well. Yeah, and that yeah. brings us on then to the word hubbub. Now, the, our GAA followers will love this because hubbub is actually from that word we use, abu, another victory cry or shout. So if Donegal, for example, are winning a football match or you know, any GAA team are winning a football match, it'll be Donegal, abu, victory to Donegal. Um, so it, it's actually hubbub has come from abu. Um, in a roundabout way, but it's got its roots in Abu, and I love that one. Okay, really so that's that the supporters shouting for their team, and a big and a big hubbub uh, then <laughs> emerges from the crowd. Now. We're good at name calling in the Irish language. I mean, yes, we have we far more insulting words, I think, than any other language. And I think Gael Gores would be able to tell us a lot more about that. But there are a couple then that have transferred into the English language as well, like slob and brat. <laughs> yeah, OK, they're two nice ones. Uh, slob comes from the Irish word slab and it actually means mud, silt, Dirt, muck, take your pick. <laughs> I think we get the picture. Um, so, in other words, you know, if you're, it's a derogatory term, it would be a term for somebody dressing maybe inappropriately or not taking, you know, interest or care of themselves. So, it comes from. <laughs> all of those ones at the lower ground level where everything has been contaminated by a flood or something, you know. So in other words, it, it's really the bottom of the pile. So slab comes from slab, mm-hmm. which means uh, and, all of the above. And- Cathy Scuffle, historian in residence with Dublin City Council, talking to Claire Byrne this morning about the many words in English which we may not realise have Irish roots. Ray Darcy told Dunaga O'Cronin, chief terminologist with An Cushte Thermiachta at Forasnagelge, how he invented a new word, Osquelge, on the wireless back in the day. So I was I was playing music and uh, I was playing the title track yeah. from an album. Do you remember yeah. that when you got an album? Yeah. The title track yeah. was uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I can't remember exactly what the song was, but it came out and I said, "Tasulagum Gubinshiv Tatnev Asan Tidlauron Shin." There you go. So, there you go. <laughs> but that's probably not the right way to say sh- it, is we it? We should have you on the committee really <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but that's not the that's not the correct term, is it? I, I well, I mean, we would use maybe Rian for a track, but title Rian, title our own title T- song. Don, Why yes. not? Nothing wrong with it. Nothing yeah, wrong with yeah, it. Yes. Yeah, we we frequently combine two words together like that to make a new word. Okay, yeah, nothing wrong with it. Now, most people listening would be uh, probably ignorant of the fact that you exist. Mm-hmm. But but th- when you think about it, somebody has to decide what words enter the Irish language. And you are the people. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, some words come in organically and, and, you know, we've no control over that. Some words just come in because people borrow them in from English and start using them. There's nothing we can do about that and we don't try to stop that. But there, there is a demand for a lot of uh, terms coming in that, you know, people mightn't use at the moment, but they will want to use them in the future. And that's where we come in. We, OK, uh, will you we, give us an example of that? Just well, uh, ex- examples would be, for example, uh, pharmaceuticals. Uh, there's new pharmaceuticals being made every day. There's new chemicals being made every day and they have to be translated into Irish they have to be available for example for maybe documentation in the EU maybe a leaflet that goes with a with a pill that you're being prescribed by your doctor and things like that and and we have to make those up so you know we have to we have to take the English we have to analyze mm. the English and then we have to translate so did you Irish. get busier then when Irish was recognized as an official language absolutely. in the EU how long ago was that now absolutely well the official recognition came about 15 20 years ago and then there was a derogation in using uh, Irish as an official language within the EU but that derogation has gone within the last few years so for example now uh, you know a lot of the EU documentation will have to be translated made available in Irish and companies for example pharmaceutical companies electronics companies and so on if they're talking about coming into the market for example their safety leaflets will have to be translated into Uh, Irish because you know it's a recognition of the fact that that there is always a possibility that there's a doctor down in in, say Connemara who's uh, dealing in Irish with a patient in Irish who is going to get a prescription written in Irish is going to go to a pharmacist in Irish and they are going to expect that you know the medication they get they're going to be able to read the leaflet if anybody reads these leaflets so side effects for example absolutely things like that and they want them to be written in Irish so that they they understand when they're when they're looking at this and they're legally obliged to do that they are yes yeah 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 so that that will be the situation as the years go by that more and more medications will be coming in it's not just things like that it's things like for example new chemicals that are invented the EU has to know you know uh, for example you know do we tax them do we add VAT to them Uh, what are they used for uh, how much can be used how much can they be prohibited or, or, or controlled and all of the legislation relating to that has to be available in Irish as well so the EU will need terminology for those terms yeah. well they're extremely complicated we don't assume the normal person is going to use yeah. those so, so when I was doing the promo for today's show to get people interested uh, I mentioned the fidget spinner yes and the, the Gaelga for that is well, the Gaelic for that is Rohan Mere. Right. And yeah. did you come up with that? Or no, else? well, I'll tell you, we did come up with it, but eventually. Okay. And this is this is an example of how the yeah. process yeah. works. So uh, a query comes in from anybody. It could be from a translator. It could be from a member of the public. It could be from a government department. And, and fidget spinners, you may recall, a couple of years ago were all their age. All the kids had them and everything like that. And of course... Teachers, for example, would need to know what a fidget yes. spinner was in yes. Irish. Yeah. Put that away. Put your exactly. fidget spinner away. Exactly. <laughs> so our first guess at that was 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 a thing called Cashel Gyodham. Now, a Cashel is a spinning top, and that's a long-established word in Irish. And Gyodham is, is a person who fidgets. It's a fidgeting person. Right. Right. So Cashel Gyodham was our initial suggestion for a fidget spinner. But then we put our suggestions to our committee or a voluntary group. There's about 24 on the group and they meet once a month and they go through our recommendations and they didn't like it. They thought it didn't sound natural. They thought most people wouldn't understand Cashel, certainly wouldn't understand Gyudham. And the fact that Gyudham is a person as opposed to yes. an object. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, a fidget spinner would be somebody who's fidgeting, you know, and so on. And that's what you would yes, be doing. Okay. You'd be fidgeting yeah, yeah. with a fidget spinner. And and one of our members eventually came up with this idea of Rohan, which is which is a, an old word. It's used a lot in, in old 
sailing terminology and it means a small little wheel like a capstan and and people who know even a fair amount of Irish would know Roh as yes. in Rohor, it means a wheel. So Rohan was the first thing, was a wheel. And then Meira, which is just the genitive of Meir, which means finger. Okay, yes. So Rohan Meira literally translates as a little wheel of the finger. Uh-huh. And if you were to throw a load of toys in front of kids and ask them, which is the, the Rohan, Rohan Meira, Meira they, they, you know quite well they'd pick out the fidget spinner. So we don't have to do a literal translation for them. So so in, in Ankushta Teramiukta, there's just two e. Is there two, two, two? We're effectively the secretariat of the okay. and we prepare the work for a voluntary committee, which I, then has about 24. It's, it's allowed to have a maximum of 30 people. And these people would be experts from all fields. They would be journalists, scientists, doctors, uh, linguists, uh, mathematicians. Uh, and, and they're able then to give their opinion on our suggestions. So were you miffed? That they didn't accept not, your suggestion not, for fidget spinner, no, <laughs> not not at all. I'd say probably, probably ninety to ninety five percent of our recommendations are accepted on a monthly okay, basis. Right. But the five to ten percent often <laughs> proves to be the most interesting, you know, because yeah, yeah. it's what gets people going, it's what gets people talking, and the amount of information you get from people when that conversation is going on. Just, is just on a sort of a, a more on a bigger view of the world, like mm-hmm. language is about communicating. Yes. Isn't yeah. it? And that's important. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so as long as you can understand what I'm saying, Absolutely. that's the important thing. Yeah. So if, if, if I pepper the odd English word through my Irish... No harm. No harm. No harm. No harm at all. I, I don't see any problem with that. Can I, can I ask you this? Because this is the thing, and it actually uh, came up the other day with um, Paul Meskell's mum. Yeah. About, about the Irish language. Mm-hmm. That she said, and I think this is common for a lot of people, they understand what's been said but are afraid to speak it because they're afraid of embarrassing themselves afraid of getting it wrong yeah and, and, and they shouldn't be I mean for example a lot of people are talking about Paul no, you know, answering yeah. the interview yeah. I mean now, for example, I mean, Paul used the word film all the time. And I, I guess Paul, looking back, will say, I know the word scone on. He yes. knows it off by heart. Yes. But what was the problem there? No, you know, problem. no problem. I, yeah. I, I mean, you know, he, yeah. he, he certainly he had the syntax. He had the way to construct a sentence. You yeah. know? So, you know, every Irish speaker, I'd say, will, uh, you know, now and again throw in an, an English word because they want to communicate and they want to communicate quickly. And sometimes the word just doesn't come to you. Mm. In, in much the same way as English speakers will say, what you may call it, or a thingamajig, or yes. your man, or things <laughs> like that, because the word has escaped them. That's Dunnacha O'Cronin, Chief Terminologist with Fers na Gaeilge's Cushta Termiachta, giving us all licence to pepper our Arbertsy Gaeilge with Fuckle Merle. A reverse Olamach and driver my bicycle as we like to say in the Gwaeldacht. Author A.M. Shine is, according to Oliver Callan, Ireland's Stephen King. Steady on there, Oliver. A.M. Shine's written two books. Stephen King's written about 4,000. Obviously, Oliver Callan's a fan. So, here's some of his conversation with Al A.M. Shine. When his first novel, The Watchers, it was optioned by M. Night Shyamalan, that's the director of The Sixth Sense, The Village, that really fantastic horror director. Uh, it's entering production in Ireland soon. It's going to be directed by Shyamalan's daughter, Ishana. And uh, we'll talk about all of this. Loads to talk about. Al Shine, good morning to you. Oliver, good morning. How are we doing? Not so bad at all. I, I'm always sort of thinking maybe a horror writer wouldn't be up and about at this time of the morning. 
and that you're in sitting by candlelight dreaming <laughs> dreaming uh, of nightmares for us. Yeah, you've no idea how many candles I've burned through in the good <laughs> name of horror writing. Uh, yeah, we, we learn to adjust though, you know. <laughs> and are you a morning person, by the way? Not usually, no. Okay, right. So no, you're I've, exactly already had th- I've, I've already had three Nespresso's this morning to get in the right mindset <laughs> for this. I uh, think because I used to work, you know, when you're writing and you're working a day job for so many years, you learn to write at night time to make the most of those post midnight hours. So it kind of, sense. yeah, it's not the healthiest way to live, but uh, I'm trying to slowly adjust back now to normal. You're a full-time writer now, I presume. Thankfully, yes, yes. yeah, a full-time contracted writer. So now I get to go quietly mad all day and all <laughs> night. <laughs> what, what was your day job, by the way, previously? Oh, I used to work um, a great many retail jobs in Galway City. I, I won't give them a shout out because they don't deserve that. <laughs> Love experience of retail, uh, but I'd say it gave you wonderful people watching skills. Yes, this is very true. Yeah, I'm yet to um, I'm yet to make a little niche for retail horror, but trust me, there's oh, definitely that's coming. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the genesis bit... of zombies, isn't it? It's all. <laughs> yeah. Now you're a literary horror writer uh, rather than the genre horror. Explain the differences for us, please. Okay, so usually genre fiction could be called popular fiction. Yeah. So they're books that fit in to a particular genre, so that they'll appeal to readers of that genre. Say, um, you know, thrillers, romance. Usually they're more mainstream, um, and they're kind of more focused on plot. So. It they could be called page turners, I suppose. Um, literary fiction is kind of less simple to define because there wouldn't be a literary fiction shelf in a great many bookshops. No. Um, I know, but it is, there's kind of an element of crossover also. Usually um, in literary fiction, the author's voice is um, it's, it's stronger. Um, right. Usually the, uh, the characters are more complex and the writing can be quite uh, introspective. Um, and the writing, usually, there's a greater attention to kind of uh, more polished prose, more descriptive, you know. Yeah. Um, it's a Every term sentence be- is important ex- I in, think in so, literary yeah. horror, yes. Um, so, yeah, in literary horror, what that means is that you're trying to connect uh, a, a strong emotional connection with the reader and the horror. So whether that's uh, an antagonist, an entity, uh, the landscape, the architecture, you want to take something that is quite simple and yet chew the language, turn it into something that's quite uh, menacing and immediate. That makes a lot of sense to me because a lot of people obviously might be familiar with Stephen King. He's the very much genre horror. Uh, he yes. has like a small town, there's a family scenario, there's jump scares, whereas you're the literary horror guy because Connemara is like a character in The Watchers. Yes, yes, it is very much so. I think the, the, the landscape and the location in the horror book is one of the most important characters. Um, so using Connemara was great because I said it during the kind of autumn, winter. So you're focusing on the cold and the damp. And when you read the book and it's set in the woodland, it should almost feel uh, black and white mm. when you read it. Because we've, mm. never, we've never had that kind of, uh, you know, I've never read a book like that that turns sort of the, the, the west of Ireland into this kind of horror character. The West of Ireland, yeah, yeah, yeah. inhospitable places to live in the world. Isn't it it, it so. almost seems obvious now, but you seem <laughs> yeah. to be the only person who's done it. <laughs> Tell us about it. Give, give people an idea if they haven't read The Watchers or they don't know the story. What's the idea of that story? Okay, um, a quick rundown. So, uh, Mina is an artist in Galway City and she accepts a job to deliver this uh, rare bird to a buyer in Connemara. But en route there, she gets hopelessly lost and her car breaks down at the edge of a woodland. So there's no point walking back from where she came because she knows there's nothing there. So she walks into the 
into the forest and as night is falling she sees a light come on amidst the trees and then someone starts calling to her so she runs towards this person and towards the light and as she gets there these screams start to echo through the trees and she's brought into this building and this is the only safe place in the entire forest and there is a room in there and one of the walls is a one-way mirror so at night time they have to be inside this room called the coop where all they can see are their own reflections but these things that come out of the ground at night time watch them on the other side through the glass so it's a book about surviving you know gathering what you can during the day and then trying to make sense of the situation for example who built who built this yes. uh, kind of concrete bunker what are these things coming out of the ground and more importantly how can they possibly escape you know and it's every bit as creepy as you're uh, suggesting <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you very even much. at this hour of the morning uh, that's the watchers and that's the one that's been optioned by M Night Shyamalan can you explain it has how, indeed, yes. how that's come about uh, yeah, I'm still wrapping my head around this, yeah. to be honest with you. I never kind of thought that the the book that I wrote on the Argos standard desk by my bed would uh, ever be going to cinemas, you know. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I think basically when, when books are released, there are scouts and there are producers who are constantly looking for ideas that they think would translate well to film. Um, so we had a few early bites back in 2021, even though my wonderful agent John Baker told me, don't get too excited, you know, there's always often whispers of these things, but they really come to fruition. Um, And then I was told that um, the book had found its way onto the desk of M. Night Shyamalan, and he was very interested. So I had a meeting with him, a Zoom call before Christmas in 2021. And uh, yeah, he he knew the book better than I did. He had a lot of questions regarding the more kind of ambiguous parts of it. And he also had some wonderful ideas. I was amazed. Like the guy is such a creative. Yeah. The kind of the the shady areas that I didn't really explain. He was like, well, what about this? And what about this? And I was like, man, I I wish I thought of that, you know? (laughs) And he he famously takes stories, doesn't he? And totally changes them when when it comes to the film version. Yeah. But um, but you're cool with that, I gather. I am, totally, yeah. I believe that, well, I'm not too sure what they're doing with the movie yet. I've read an early draft of um, Ishana's wonderful film script, but I wouldn't be too precious about it, you know, because I think that the book and the movie are two very different experiences. That's author A.M. Shine telling Oliver Callan about M. Night Shyamalan optioning his novel The Watchers on this morning's Ryan Toberty Show. And that's all I have for you on this edition of Playback Daily. The programme was compiled, written and edited by me, Neil O'Shirathon. Don't forget you can listen back to all the programmes featured on Playback Daily on the RTE radio player. And I'll be along with another episode of Playback Daily at the same time tomorrow. Until then, thank you for listening and good luck.